0: Welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolfe. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title the group johnny swim offers this invitation if it matters let it matter so that's what we're going to do i invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor celebrate or lament and as we name what matters okay hello and welcome i am so thankful you're joining me for this episode Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by writer and theologian Erin Lane, uh, the author of the recent book Someone Other Than a Mother Flipping the Scripts on a Woman's Purpose and Making Meaning Beyond Motherhood. I loved this conversation so much, and I even told Erin halfway through that she was becoming my new favorite person. Regardless of whether you have children or not, want children or not, um, I know this episode will resonate with you, and that's the kind of story and resonance that Aaron carries. Before we dive in, I would be so thankful if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode and do the following things. Hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're listening in Apple, leaving a review, but only if you like the show, and Three, if you would go and follow the show on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast so you don't miss any giveaways, updates, and post episode discussion that we have over there. Now, let me tell you about Erin and we'll get into it. Erin S. Lane is a writer, theologian, and someone other than a mother. She is the author of Someone Other Than a Mother and Lessons in Belonging from a Church Going Commitment Phobe. She holds a bachelor's degree from Davidson College and a master's degree from Duke Divinity School, both with a focus on gender studies. Mentored by Parker J. Palmer and the Center for Courage and Renewal, she works as a vocational retreat facilitator, helping people discern their wildest questions of purpose. She resides in Raleigh, North Carolina with her improbable kin. Now here's my conversation with Erin Lane. Okay, Aaron Lane. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Let It Matter podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. So i I gotta. I'm gonna tell you. I was um, turned onto your work and your book, Someone Other Than a Mother, um, by a listener of this show. She messaged and was like, "Would you ever consider having her on? Here's her book. This is how it impacted me," and. Um, and as a single woman with no children on purpose, I like it that way, um, I, I hadn't really done or looked at or ta- even ta- you know dived into topics about any, anything about motherhood. Um, but I do talk a lot about singleness and being child free and things like that. And so I think I ha- when I saw that your book was coming out, I think I had sort of misunderstood what it was what it was about a little bit and I have to tell you I am devouring it I'm not quite finished but it is so well written first of all but just compelling and um, vulnerable and and just wonderful so I'm excited to talk to you about it today
1: oh thank you yeah we we went back and forth on that title
0: (laughs) (laughs) no and and I love it because um, it speaks to both people who don't have children and women who are mothers but they are more than just a mother or you know quote just a mother they they are a full whole complex people and so i really i really love the title and and i'm and i'm loving the book um let's dive in here in the preface of the book you spend some time introducing some of the messaging and really most of the book is sort of broken down by different messages you received or social scripts, you call them, um, about what you call maternal exceptionalism. Um, and then you obviously go on to explore it throughout the book. I'd love if you could just talk to us about what some of the messages, those some of those messages and social scripts were and how they impacted you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, background on my weird... Um, Absurd story is <laughs> yeah. I was purposefully child free. Child free for the common good is yes. how I liked to. And I want to talk to you about that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> reclaim some of the stigma um, mm-hmm. that child free people are selfish, shallow, and self absorbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, child free for the common good, happily for over a decade with um, my husband. Um, but even before that, didn't ever feel uh, a real maternal drive or desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until we became, unexpectedly, this part of the story is just so bizarre still to explain to people, unexpectedly we became foster parents because we thought, wow, how can we be available to our community um, if we don't have children of our own? Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to be fostering. It could have been any number of things, but we love our sure. home. And so we were like, I think, I think hospitality is our jam. Um, and it wasn't until we became foster parents, and then spoiler alert, later adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. um, that I realized, oh my gosh, there are all these really shitty scripts or Mm -hmm. shitty scripts or whatever you want to call them um, that I have internalized both as a child-free woman and now as a parent of three Mm -hmm. that are doing the same thing. They are making me feel like my highest self, my highest purpose Mm -hmm. should be found in a maternal role and even i argue you don't have to even become a mother to feel that to feel that pressure like yeah. even for childless and child free women we want to affirm the caregiving parts of them we want yeah. to affirm how they spiritually mother people. And again, those are fine things to affirm in people if that's mm-hmm. what they want to be affirmed for. Mm-hmm. And those are fine things to affirm in people if we're also affirming other things about their life yes. that is also good and beautiful and true and doesn't always sort of die on the vine of someone else's love or labor. So mm-hmm. the shitty scripts, the shitty scripts, um, are these cultural sayings that I realized. Only after becoming a parent and realizing it sort of wasn't the, the shortcut to enlightenment I'd been sold um, <laughs> that I realized we're so, were so pervasive, even in someone like me who was very confidently, I thought, um, child-free. And so yeah. these are anything from your biological clock is ticking to motherhood is the toughest job in the world to, oh, it'll be different when you have your own or family's going to be your greatest legacy or the mother of all mother scripts, you don't know love yes. until you become a mother. so that's how the book mm. is structured, and that's sort of how I started picking apart the stories I'd been told and wondering how they were shrivelling the existence of all women, not just mothers, not just non-mothers,
0: all of us. they weren't helping, they weren't helping they're not they're not helping and and I, I was so struck by what you even mentioned early in the preface about what you noticed about Disney villains
1: yes so you can you say more about that yes you realize that all nearly all Disney villains are uh, childless or jealously parenting someone else's children um, and even my, my, my eldest daughter came home from Sephora with mm-hmm. these, like, eco-friendly makeup pads mm-hmm. from um, the Disney villain series. And I just looked at them, like, one at a time, and I'm like, Scar, Jealous Uncle, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ursula, like, quintessential yeah. dog mom or eel mom, <laughs> right? Like, all of these, like, caricatures... Of childless yes. folk or step-parents. Step-parents, um, yes. Now, I've later learned, I, I posted something about it online and I've later learned there are like, you know, Lion King 2, I think Scar has children. Anyways, I can't oh, keep up with the, all the franchise. The interwebs franchise. came out of yes, the yes, woodwork. Yes. I gotcha. <laughs> but but even now, as a parent, you know, I watch Maleficent mm-hmm. um, and and she is this beautiful godmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and And, at the end of the Disney movie, you realize all she really wants though is to be a real mother. as mm-hmm. if godmother is is a substitute is is a second best. Yeah. Um, to biological parenting, and once you start noticing this thread, you just realize how pervasive it is in the stories we grew up with, mm-hmm. and in the stories many of us are handed now, even the ones
0: that look very progressive. And and we see it in the same way in the church when it's it's you're more like God when you're a mother, right? You yeah. mentioned that in the preface, or I think somewhere in the in the book as well that you're more godlike. Um, because God is a parent and because God knows the love of a child and um, and all this really damaging messaging about the cross and uh, stuff, um, it, it's so crazy how it's not just in church culture and it's not just in sort of um, large culture at large. It's everywhere, right? Yes, and that's that's why
1: I really gravitate toward explaining it with that word maternal exceptionalism, because mm-hmm. it's very closely aligned to American exceptionalism. Or this idea that there is something exceptional mm-hmm. um, about America, about Christianity, yeah. about mothers, like God, faith, and country are so closely aligned, and mm-hmm. that does something to the narratives we're handed as women. So not only is mother more godly, mother is more patriotic in the history mm-hmm. of this nation, right? Um, and yeah. and you just realize once you start looking, once you start unpacking the, the narratives, the scripts that you've mm-hmm. been sold and try to write a different story for yourself, you realize all of the things you come up against. And I've got to say, I, I mean, for years... Imaging God as mother was very restorative
0: to me. Yes, me too. Very, I'm, I'm not hating on that at all. Yeah,
1: was it was a beautiful counteractive to the the messages I got in evangelicalism growing up. Yeah. I grew up Catholic, but then found myself with the cool youth group kids of in course. high school who were not at yes. the Catholic church. <laughs> um, and we were, you know, all being coached to heal our father wounds. Um, because oh. that was the only way we were going to be able to have a relationship with Father God. So when I came into Mother God language in college, mm-hmm. oh, like it was it was wonderful, and it yeah. also did a beautiful thing for me in helping me unpack a complicated relationship with my own mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so we can we can talk about that in another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> But now, now that I've written this book, I'm realizing too how I'm so interested in other metaphors, mm-hmm. other feminine metaphors for God that aren't yes. all maternal, like sister God or auntie God or grown-ass woman God um, or, you know, my favorite. My favorite right now is just adult God. I just find that I'm constantly like looking for the adult in the room and mm. like, you know, I'm devastated that it's frequently me. Um so. <laughs> Like I just really sometimes like need to call on God to be like, listen, you got to be the adult here. God, Come on, I don't got this. I don't got this right now. Do you know
0: what's interesting? I want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, um, I was listening recently to a podcast um, when Gloria Steinem was on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Glennon Doyle and I just – I'm in my um, feminist origin stories era right now, and so I've been watching Mrs. America, and I've been reading Gloria Steinem, and um, and so I was listening to that podcast, and there was this part that was so interesting to me, and she talked about how women – like how we reinforce these sort of gender roles and motherhood trajectory for girls as early as they start getting baby dolls, but because boys don't have them. Or you know, generally and in culture at large, and certainly historically, um, because boys don't play with dolls. They're not as comfortable with the idea of parenthood. They're not as comfortable with the idea of staying home. They're not. They're they're like my my niece um, the other day. She picked up her she's 18 months, picked up her baby doll and started brushing her hair gently. The boys picked the baby doll up and threw it against the wall. <laughs> So Lord have mercy. And so I just I was thinking about that and how like we start this messaging so early. My niece is 18 months old. And and this is nothing about her I mean her parents, this was at my my mom's house and she gotten her baby dolls. And my niece loves them. She's it's it is something weird about it, but she I just thought like, oh, that's so strange that, that we start that messaging, those social scripts, we start getting, I mean, from day one with the colors of nurseries and the colors of, uh, and, and what types of toys we buy our babies. Um, and, and it it was so interesting. The other thing I wanted to say about, um, when you were talking about images of God is, uh, I I was talking to someone recently uh, for a podcast episode about Mother God and all these feminine imagery in the Bible for God. And I realized one of my favorite ones is actually one where God is just portrayed as a woman, not a mother, and it's in Luke 15, where we have God as the shepherd who has the 99 sheep. We have God as the father of the prodigal son. And then right smack in the middle of those, we have God as... A woman with a lost coin. Mm.
1: Um,
0: and and she's got and it's a t it's a lot of wages. What she's lost is a lot of wages. She's not like this, it's not the poor widow. It's not the, you know, all that. She's a grown ass woman god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, man, I just that's such an interesting. I I think maybe mm. we should talk about that sometime, just some of the um restorative and reparative work that mother god imagery can do and how it goes much further
1: (laughs) yes and just as a project if anyone else wants to accompany me in this i have started going through the psalms and writing someone other than a mother psalms Um, you know where we come across like god as advocate i'm like all right here's lawyer god here's badass lawyer god right that maybe has like shoulder pads giving me like a melanie griffith like working girl vibe right or here's, or here's the God that's, you know, blotting out my stains. All right, we got laundress of love God, oh. right? Okay, God is a laundress. Like there are just so many other roles yes. and modes of being with this I am God who mm. is not any one of these. And it's the same with us, right? We, oh we, we are who we are and we step in and out of these roles and we have seasons of life. Mm-hmm. um where we do the verb of mothering um or we do the verb of caregiving or we do the verb of you know looking for lost coins or lost people mm-hmm. or lost purpose um but but those are not the definition or the sum total of who we are
0: you're my new favorite person i'll tell you that <laughs> that was incredible um i'm going to do that project with you yes and amen absolutely um Just to just to move along a little bit, I want to ask if you could briefly maybe share just for those listening um, who maybe didn't get the alternative messages that choosing to be child free is an option um, and are still in a place where that's a choice they can make. um, When did you first realize you could exercise your own agency and choice not to have children? So as I
1: said, I grew up Catholic um, uh, in the Midwest, outside of Chicago, and I remember when I was 12 signing the True Love Waits Mm -hmm. Pledge that said I was going to save myself for marriage, and I didn't realize until very recently, going back to look at that pledge, that I also pledged myself, not just to my future husband, but my future children. I did not realize, if you go back and look at that pledge, that many of us in the 80s and 90s... Um, encountered that that there was this assumption that it was a when not an if, mm-hmm. that it was a when you get married, when you have children here is the kind of life that equals good mm-hmm. um, and and I don't think I thought of it too um, intently I just I was I was a rule follower. I was like, sure sexuality terrifies me. Um, <laughs> great I can do this.. Um, But it wasn't probably until, well, some mixture of high school and college. So I moved um, when I was in high school to Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, and like fell in with all these Jewish friends who had none of my evangelical anxiety about Uh sex. That was very restorative, just being around people who had more um, divergent views on sex. So there wasn't one homogenous idea Um, of again what a good life looked like so I could sort of test my truths in community with them Um, and then going to college um, my mom my mom is um uh an OBGYN nurse uh, so a Mm -hmm. nurse practitioner in labor and delivery and mother baby which is kind of the big irony of my life Um, (laughs) she would have been so in (laughs) if I would have birthed the baby yeah um but she also was the one that said, "There's a pill for that." Like mm-hmm. there's a pill for that. if you If you feel called um, to partnership, but not parenting, there's mm-hmm. a pill for that. Um, and so it was really like pairing this this very traditional, um, very biblical mm-hmm. idea of um, bodies and what bodies are for. They're good. Yeah. Um, bodies are good and they're to delight in and they're to bring delight to God and our community mm-hmm. and pairing that with, with sort of the, the scientific world that said, yeah, bodies are good mm-hmm. um, and like parenthood hasn't always been good for women. And I don't think it was until college that I realized all of the barriers To actually becoming a parent and how women disproportionately carry that burden. And and I was just Mm. like, I'm, that work already feels so outside of my natural giftings. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like I would not be able to be true to the gifts and skills I do hold within my body if I became a biological parent. Mm. And I also began to realize how deeply parents themselves um, have the odds stacked against them and and i think i got really excited around um, i was an anthropology major and gender studies concentration yeah. you know so i just got super jazzed about what we actually need are people to to labor for laws that make mm-hmm. it easier to be a parent in this country what we actually need are people to labor for laws that make it easier to be an autonomous woman Um, in this country and and I just thought I could be that person and that could be the way that I contributed to the Mm -hmm. common good Um, and only later when I ended up going to divinity school did I begin to pair some of those ideas with Mm -hmm. oh actually the Christian tradition is deep and rich and alternative possibilities and actually they're not even positioned as the alternative in scripture right right like Paul is <laughs> like if you can be single be single right. right like marriage and children are like the like second best if right. you have to yeah. if you have to get married and have children okay mm-hmm. um, and that right that there's lots of historical context in yeah yeah with that. But I think that's when I began to realize that there was some amalgamation of who I knew myself to be, Mm -hmm. some permission from my community that that was an okay way of being in the world, and then beginning to say, okay, then how do I make sense of how I do want to contribute? Because Mm -hmm. I'm all about figuring out how all of us um, can take care of one another, how all of us Mm -hmm. can contribute to the common good, and how we need all kinds of kinds in order to
0: to be the beloved body of God yeah. in the world. We need all kinds of kinds. I love that. I am curious, and forgive if this is an ignorant question, um, but because I did not grow up Catholic, I grew up in the, not even evangelicalism. That was too liberal for how I grew up. Um, but your mom saying to you there's a pill for that. I'm curious about how that looked, how that sort of jived with, what I know to be about messaging in the Catholic Church about birth birth control and um, and choice and things like that. I'm just curious. Was that like um, was that a shock for you to hear, or was that like, oh yeah, this is this is what we do because of your mom's profession and things like that?
1: Yeah. So two things to know about my parents. One, my dad is the cradle Catholic. My mom converted to Catholicism gotcha. okay. for my dad, so so um, she was always a little bit more spicy. I call her a charismatic Catholic, mm-hmm. so she um, was a really an adult convert mm-hmm. um, to both Catholicism and sort of a born again Christianity. So she she passed down a very eclectic spirituality to I love me. That. Um, So that that part of it wasn't um, a surprise or Mm -hmm. didn't feel incongruent. I actually didn't realize um, until I started probably researching um, the stigma against the childless in Mm -hmm. graduate school. Um, how deeply the Pope disagreed with even <laughs> with even the phrase "child free for the common good." Um, mm-hmm. And I go into this uh, in the book in the chapter on mm-hmm. children are a gift from God about how the the. Pope, um, along with many other denominational leaders, um, in around the 1960s when birth control became legalized first for married women sure. um, in America and then, right, different different policies and legislation throughout the globe. Um, but as that was happening, denominational leaders had to come up with a response, and, and the Catholic Church did what most churches do, formed a committee, um, and decided <laughs> that... <laughs> Decided that, like yes, sex was good, mm-hmm. um, and sex was meant to be procreative, but it was also meant to be unitive. Like there was something intimate and good about the sex act itself, which was which mm. was kind of progressive for the time. However, they they ultimately came down with you couldn't divorce. The potential for procreation with the potential for intimacy, and therefore any idea of of sex that was actively guarding against
0: mm-hmm. procreation
1: um, was not allowed It was not good. Yeah. Um. So I, I honestly didn't um <laughs> didn't know um didn't know what the, <laughs> what, what the authorities <laughs> what the authorities would have to say about my choices because, mm. like most Catholics, I knew. Um, and like most people, I really think the call is to discern with your community. Yeah, is it's to wrestle with your people. It's to wrestle with your neighbors. It's to wrestle with the text. Um, it's mm-hmm. to wrestle with um, how God speaks to you in your own body. It's to wrestle with your limitations. I think limitations yes. are gorgeous um, ways of discerning. Mm-hmm.
0: Like if I'm not into like the 1980s, you can be anything you want to be. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for this permission slip. For anyone listening, just just take this permission slip as she continues talking. Go on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but that I, I just the 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 doctrine from on high I find is no longer very compelling for a lot of us. But without it, many of us are doing this discernment on our own, and I mm. think that that is um, equally isolating and mm-hmm. and can be. Um, equally bewildering. And Mm. so I really think uh, whatever you do, child-free for the common good, parenting for the common good, um, I don't know what the F I'm doing for the common good, Um, whatever it is, um, you know, like test your truths alongside others um, and test it with people who are living lives worth
0: imitating, whatever they're doing. Mm. I love that. Um, I also love... So I love alternate phrasing. So um, I typically don't refer to myself as single. I typically say consciously uncoupled. Um, Ooh. Because do you remember when Gwyneth Paltrow got a divorce from, I don't remember that, um, from Chris, Chris Martin, Martin. And they said they were having a conscious uncoupling. And Hollywood, everyone was like, oh, that's such a Hollywood word. <laughs> you know. But the more I think of it, um, it implies agency. And it implies this is not just I'm just at the at the mercy of God or the universe that I haven't found someone yet and and there are people for whom the word single really means so much in terms of longing and lack and um, the the experiences we have in the church and so while I I am I mean yes I am single and I do have had I have had many of the same sort of marginalizing or or um, othering experiences of singles within the church uh, and culture at large I prefer to use consciously uncoupled because um, because that conscious piece is important to me um, yes. and so I loved when I read child free for the common good and I loved how you guys ex- exercised agency you said in your wedding vows um, that you didn't you chose not to have any language about like fruit be fruitful and multiply and stuff like that because that was something you guys had already discussed and decided on so um I really really love that in the in the interest of time I want to get to these last two questions which came from the listener um who recommended you to uh recommended your work to me and I I love these questions so she says, you and your husband ended up unexpectedly adopting um, the three older girls through foster care, so I appreciate that you have perspective that includes those of us who don't desire motherhood and, um, and are not mothers as well as those who are now, which brings me to a question um, I wanted to ask. Your book goes a lot into the questions of women's choices of becoming a mother at all, but what about women who have become mothers and have found it to not be the rosy and fully satisfying work we were promised? Now we're in the thick of it and we have no option but to stay here. Do you have any words of win- of wisdom or solidarity or insight for us? Yeah, that's the number
1: one question mm. I've gotten as the book has come out. And I have such a tender... Tender place for that question because that's still my question. Mm. That's still my question. I didn't become a parent because I longed to be a mother. Mm -hmm. I became a parent because I longed to be a neighbor. Mm. And it is soul crushing to me mm. when parenting feels like it prevents me from showing up as my full self and showing up for other people outside of my immediate family in ways that are compelling. And, mm. um, and I grieve, I grieve the mm. things that I no longer have as much capacity for. So so I I hear this question yeah um and and the thing um, the thing that I will tell this listener and any other listeners who are asking the same thing is, is what I told myself um, what I tell myself when I'm in that place um, I put my hand over my heart and and I say we will not abandon you here mm. we will not abandon you here this is a season. This is a season of life that may not be your favorite. Mm. Um, it is not my favorite. It is not my favorite season of life. Yeah. Um, I remember I worried that parenting would not be my favorite season of life yeah. before becoming a parent and um, sat down with a therapist and said, I'm just really worried I won't enjoy it. I'm really worried, like, it will make me so sad. Mm that my sadness will be a wound to my children. Uh. And she said, well, what do you do now for fun? <laughs> what do you enjoy now? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I like going on long walks. I like watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I like hanging out with friends. I mean, the most basic of all things, mm-hmm. all humans. Same. Most yeah. humans enjoy. Same, yeah. um, And she was like, great. Then, then you will keep doing those things you will you will keep doing those things mm. when you hit patches of parenting you really don't enjoy mm. and and what she didn't say and what's true of all of us is yes but i will have less capacity for those things and and that's the part that i just i i there's no getting around that in my own story that i i can go on walks i can see friends um and when i'm when i've gone through a particularly like rough day where like my child is refusing to not be an asshole mm-hmm. um or or is um <laughs> simply holding up a mirror to my refusal to not Ooh. be an asshole <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um
1: right that um i don't I, I don't i'm not motivated to call a friend mm. i'm i'm just so i'm like a pancake hiding under the duvet mm. um but it's in those moments where um, everything gets real small and granular And I'm like, okay, if I can, like, touch the dog and pet the dog for five minutes, like, there's beauty in that. If I can pull up Instagram Reels and find the most absurd video of a four-year-old swearing (laughs) and send it to my husband, like, there's beauty in that. Um, If I can – I'm on this, like, ridiculous – it's not ridiculous. I scratch ridiculous. Okay. I'm on this like experiment with like body hair right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm curious if I grew my armpit hair back out, what what would that be like? And yeah. it feels like this like just just like choice of agency yes. and resistance amongst so many things I don't have choice in agency. I was just about to say, right does now. it just
0: feel like a middle finger to like everything? Yes. that everything. you can't control. I'm like, but I can control
1: not shaving my armpits. Yes. And so it's just like life gets really small sometimes. It mm-hmm. feels really small for seasons mm-hmm. where your agency feels minuscule. Mm-hmm. And I just say to you, we will not abandon you here and find moments of delight yeah. and effuse. That I was going to say moments
0: of delight and it sounds like <laughs> try to find moments of agency when yes. it feels like it's been taken in, in some other ways. Find ways within your own body or your own self or your own sphere, even if it's that granular, like you said, to to ha- to exercise agency and choice in other ways. Uh, that reclaim who you are, and I'm not. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. So if that's not what you're saying, please no, stop no.
1: 100, 100 percent, signed, sealed,
0: and delivered. Okay, that's great. I really. That's a really. First of all, I appreciate your tenderness, and I, and I share it. Um, I, I, sometimes I'll share on social media. Like Chelsea Handler recently was hosting the um, the Daily Show, and she did a whole thing about being a childless woman, and how like, and how that she celebrates that. Um, and how culture doesn't and how threatening that is to culture and stuff. And sometimes I think about like when I share it, I'm like, people share all day long how fulfilling it is to be a mother and I'm going to share how fulfilling it is to not. And then there's this moment when I step back and I go, (laughs) right, but I also know there are moments where it is devastating or dark or hard or scary and I feel like I'm rubbing that in people's faces when I go like, I don't have that. I have other moments of loneliness or of like, I, I just bought a couch on Facebook Marketplace and I'm like trying to find some some guy to come help me tear, carry it down these people's stairs because I don't have a husband. Yes. You know, things yes. like that. Um, but the like, it's it helped me to sort of re-engage the tenderness there of like, oh, yeah. This is not, everybody's life isn't Pinterest. Most people's life, in fact, is Pinterest about less than 1% of the time. And otherwise, it's real and difficult and challenging. And so um, if that is you listening to this, I just share I share that tenderness. Um, And I appreciate the wisdom behind that, you know, get granular, find moments of joy, find moments of agency, and it won't be, it's not forever. This is a season. I think that's a really uh, wonderful answer. Um, the, The sort of last thing I want to talk to you about, the listener whose question I mentioned earlier also asked a version of this question that I'd love to hear you talk about. So whether someone longs for children, have they've battled infertility, they're married but don't desire children, they don't desire marriage or children, they've adopted or are fostering or are moms of just one kid uh, rather than multiples, moms of multiples, young moms, old moms, empty nesters. So all of the above, regardless of what our choices or our circumstances are, how can women find and access and embody confidence in their lives just as they are, especially when everything from memes to sermon illustrations to social media seem dead set on making us compare the levels of hardness for each of those things and glorifying one over the other. One, I think depersonalizing
1: the conflict, the judgment. Mm. Like this is, this is what this country does we 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 divide the disenfranchised from themselves like this is a strategy right that this Mm -hmm. is a larger narrative that's not just about us individual women and our choices Mm -hmm. but this is a strategy of people in power to Mm -hmm. divide those of us that might have common interests that might come together and organize To feel like actually, no, that person, that person and I don't share a life. We don't share values. We don't. And I think when we can see it as like a a larger historical movement that has been present in this country from day one, Mm -hmm. um, it helps to be like, okay, this is not about me and the lady in Target. Like, this is. (laughs) This is bigger than us, and I can be, like, a little, a little radical, a little, like, countercultural revolutionary mm. um, by moving toward the women, by moving toward um, the people who have made different choices than me and getting to know their story and telling them mine. So mm. I think that that helps me when I, um, I hate to feel like a pawn in someone else's scheme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so when I realize That's I'm great. becoming a stereotype, it mm. really helps me to step back and say, "Okay, how can I how can I tell a truer, kinder, weirder story with mm. my actions in this moment?" But second of all, I really think intergenerational friendships are like the bomb for everything. Mm. And and I think this because early on, when I was childless, I was reflecting to an older friend who was childless. She was in her um, probably sixties at the time. And and I said, I just, I, I keep trying to be available to my friends that are having children, and they keep, like, being too tired to hang out, or, like, I only get to hang out with the mom, um, and the child, and the dad gets to have beers after mm-hmm. work, like... Like I like why why do I always have to go to the playground and my husband always gets to go to the bar like right like I'm just right like I'm just like I don't understand and mm-hmm. and why do we always have to eat at five and just like really feeling um feeling like I was trying trying to be in relationship with people uh in my life stage mm-hmm. um and my friend Jeanette said Erin I just think for a while you're going to have to start investing in friendships with people not in your age range. Um, and I was in my early 30s, I think, at that point. Uh, mm. And so it was it was re-spending time with people just out of college. And it was spending time with Jeanette. Um, and there was something beautiful about the diversity of our lives mm-hmm. that made comparison um, impossible. It made yeah. comparison impossible. Um, and I think about that now, too, that, yes, there's something great about you know talking to another parent of a 13-year-old with ADHD, great. Mm -hmm. Like tell me all your strategies Mm -hmm. and let's, 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 let's have that. But those relationships feel more common to me. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the bomb for this comparison and this division and this who has it harder is really to like get to know people Mm -hmm. who are childless and child-free if you're parenting. If you're childless and child-free, like spend time with families and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, when we begin to see like the puzzle piece of the common good and how we all come together, I feel like you get to see that oh yes, that 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 parent is both devastated and delighted mm-hmm. by yeah. their children. Oh yes, that child free person um, has so much autonomy and has to contract with someone to move a couch on Facebook Marketplace. Right. Right? right? Like you just get the nuance. Um, yeah. That makes you feel like, yeah, we don't, one is not necessarily easier or harder than the other, but good God, like friendship is what saves. Mm-hmm. And, and if there's any message that for me resounds throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the Christian narrative, and throughout the social science research, mm-hmm. it's that friendship is the bomb against misery. Mm-hmm. Like friendship is the democratic love that we can all know and grow, whether we ever partner, parent, or procreate. Like friendship <sighs> is what saves. Um, And and you can have that, whatever your life looks like, but that's the good life. That's what we've been shown is the greatest legacy, both spiritually and communally. That's what I think is going to be the bomb against the, the comparison wars.
0: Okay, that was my conversation with the incredible Erin Lane. I hope you enjoyed that and, in the words of Madeline Langle, feel more named after hearing it. My thanks again to Erin for joining me today. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at HeyErinLane or on her website at ErinSLane.com. She also uh, wrote a Substack post recently after our conversation about uh, growing out her armpit hair as an act of defiance, and it's a great post, so I will link to all of these in the show notes. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this blessing from John O'Donohue's book, To Bless the Space Between Us. Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you have the courage to listen to the voice of desire that disturbs you when you have settled for something safe. May you have the wisdom to enter generously into your own unease to discover the new direction your longing wants you to take. May the forms of your belonging in love, creativity, and friendship be equal to the grandeur and the call of your soul. May the one you long for, long for you. May your dreams gradually reveal the destination of your desire. May a secret providence guide your thought and nurture your feeling. May your mind inhabit your life with the sureness with which your body inhabits the world. Amen.